You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I'll be preaching from John 21, and it's Jesus' interaction with Peter after his denial and resurrection, after Peter's denial and Jesus' resurrection, and the reinstatement of Peter. And before I read, just want to say uh, thank you to the Cathedral Church of the Advent for the invitation to be here again, to be with you, and uh, have lunch with you, and be here for the next few days. It's a great privilege and joy. John 21, verses 2 through 17. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, Well, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, Do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came from the boat, dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, and with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Let us pray. Good Father, please send your spirit to enliven our hearts and enlighten our minds to see your son, Jesus Christ, for who he is and what he has done clearly. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This John 21 passage is fascinating. It's this marvelous interaction between the denier Peter, who just broke uh, his promise to his Savior, and the risen Lord. And I'm fascinated that Peter dives into the water to get to Jesus first. Why in the world would he be so eager to not hide from Jesus, but to actually be there before everyone else. That what he did, I mean, he just denied Jesus when he predicted that Jesus said, you will deny me. And he said, 
Everyone else will deny it, not me. And it took a little servant girl by a fire asking him, and he three times denied Jesus, and then ends up weeping bitterly after the realization, after the cock crows for the third time. So Peter should have been feeling only shame and should have been hiding from his, uh, his Savior who he let down. He promised he would not fail, and he does. But apparently he's not hiding from Jesus, and he's a naked fisherman who scurries to grab his clothes, and then as soon as he hears, it's the Lord, he just jumps impulsively into the water and starts sprinting for shore. Why eagerness? This is a moment where all of us, unless we were narcissists, would be cowering, kind of hoping that all the other disciples would show up and test if he was in a good mood, and then we might kind of stick our head around and just kind of nod and acknowledge Jesus' existence. But not Peter. He's the, he's the tip of the spear. He's the front of the line. Why not cower as a, and a, and a ball of shame hiding from the one you just disappointed? It's because Jesus knew, or because Peter knew that Jesus loved him before he failed like this. He knew that this big failure was not a surprise to his Lord. In predicting Peter's failure, Christ said this to him, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, and that when you have been turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. Peter jumps into the water because Christ was praying for him even before his failure and was confident that Peter would turn back. Echoing in his, in his mind was, I failed. Jesus knew I failed. He actually anticipated my failure and already gave me a call that when I turn back, I'm also to go back and strengthen. So I'm thinking the light goes on at some point and Peter realizes I can run eagerly to Jesus. I don't have to cower from him, but I can actually go to him on this. And after Peter's denial in Mark's resurrection story, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, the angel at the tomb in Mark's resurrection narrative says this, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead in Galilee. That and Peter says a lot. If anyone needed to be singled out for special attention at the point of the resurrection, it was Peter. He felt horribly unworthy, and he had promised to not fail his Lord. So that, that message, go tell the disciples and Peter, actually put the spotlight on Peter to be the recipient of Jesus' grace. And this is good for us to see. It is good for us to see Christ's tenderness and patient love for Peter. Because he treats us the same way. Christ intercedes for you. He knows your sins before you've committed them, even the ones you haven't committed yet. He is not surprised, and he is faithful to you. He interceded before, during, and after your failure. And at your worst, when you feel the most unlovable, he wants you to know of his great love for you. About six weeks ago, my father's sister committed suicide. And she's about 65. And she uh, had been suffering um, depression and just other things that people suffer. So in the middle of her suffering of darkness, uh, she took her life. 
Before she did, her Bible was open to Romans 5. And I was talking to my father yesterday and just checking in with him, and he said, uh, Romans 5, 6 through 8 have never meant more than they do right now. Uh, this was his beloved younger sister who he named. And I said, well, you know, what, what is it? What stood out? And he said, well, while, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. God shows love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the realization that his sister went to the scriptures to read the promise of Romans 5 before she met her Lord and Savior was a great comfort to him, but also the underlying need to reassure ourselves, I know it's about to happen, but I need to be reassured that you still love me even though I am still weak and still a sinner. That's the heartbeat of what's happening with Peter's eagerness to jump into the water. Your sins don't push him away. And as a matter of fact, it marks you as someone who is particularly in need of special attention of the mercy of Christ in his tenderness and his compassion. He did not come for the righteous, but the sinner. The healthy do not need a doctor, the sick do. And when you are broken and ashamed, you are the most vulnerable and that is when he wants to apply his grace so it burrows even deeper into your heart and to your mind to underline and secure your anchor and dependence on him. But let's turn back to Peter. We see why he was so eager. He knew what he was getting when he went to his Lord. He wasn't surprised. He knew of his compassion. He knew of his tenderness. But what does Peter find when he actually gets closer? A fire. A charcoal fire. And this was no accident. This is one of those beautiful descriptions that's included in the Gospel of John. It's a weird detail to underline what kind of fire it is. It doesn't really matter that it's a charcoal fire. Except that charcoal fires are mentioned twice in the entire New Testament. We see that the first one in the New Testament was the charcoal fire where Peter denied his Savior. <laughs> the second charcoal fire is right here where Jesus is cooking for him. So Jesus is basically returning to the scene of the crime of Peter's failure. The first failure was this charcoal fire, three times you denied me. And so Peter shows up. I'm imagining Peter all eager showing up, and suddenly he gets there and he's thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus recreated the crime scene? What is he doing to me? Why is he making a fire? right here, and now he's going to be questioned three times. This charcoal fire, though, I'm imagining his eagerness turning into anxiety pretty quickly. But this is a different moment with the fire. There's a beautiful thing that's happening in this fire. One is that Peter is sustained and given food. Eating is no small thing in the culture of biblical times. This is a point of unity, of being together in hospitality. So the fact that Jesus is feeding him gives him a hint. But still, Peter's not terribly eager to be uh, answering questions because Jesus' next thing is to ask him three times, do you love me? The three times of denial. And by the, the first time, you can hear it. The second time, you can, you can feel the anxiety. Jesus just blows right past it and just goes straight to the second time. By the third time, the apostle, Peter, is wondering, is he not accepting what I'm saying? Is he, is he rubbing my nose in my shame? 
of the denial. What in the world is happening here? He's thinking, you know everything. This is what he says. You know everything, Lord. Why are you asking again? You know that I love you. Could he, in, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, could he possibly be thinking in, in reassuring me of my shame of how much I failed him? Is he making a point? Am I the butt of the joke in front of all of these other disciples who, who didn't deny and didn't make false promises? And I don't blame Peter for being hurt by these three questions. But these three questions are not shaming questions. You wouldn't anticipate shaming questions from Christ, but we need to see that these are not shaming questions. They are opportunities for Peter to state clearly and publicly again, it's basically a mulligan. You blew it, Peter. Come on, let's do it again. This isn't the second chance, you better get it right type of tone. This is a, I know you blew it. Right here. This is a safe place. Go ahead. Do it three times. Say you love me. And in response to the affirmations from Peter, we don't only get brokenness revealed. In the asking three times, the brokenness and the pain is revealed again, but we also get brokenness repaired. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter is called in the middle of the reiteration of his failure to actually be given this charge by Christ to take care of his lamb, his sheep, to tend them. This is a calling Jesus has for the broken Peter. What has happened by asking him three times is a wonderful affirmation from Christ He's saying, Peter, despite your failure, actually probably because of your failure and your betrayal of me, you are perfect for what I want to do. And sometimes we think that because we we're broken, because we're weak, because of our sins in our life, that God doesn't think about us in this way. But the reality is that God is taking the most broken and corrupt and needy parts of us and doing the very same thing with Peter. Some of the most beautiful things that God does through you is actually using your weakness as a tool and instrument of glory for other people. This is an invitation not to put our best foot forward with God, but to do the exact opposite and to actually unveil the one place where, he doesn't, where someone doesn't run away screaming in, in mockery or in horror at the reality of us being honest and truthful. Because we are equally undeserving, because we are like Peter, we can run to him with eagerness the way that Peter does. Jesus is giving all of this kindness and all of this grace to the one who least deserved it out of all of his apostles. And keep in mind, Peter was the one to whom was given the keys of the kingdom. He was the one who's preaching the first sermons. I mean, he is the leader of the pack. And it's a beautiful picture of the church corporate and individually for Christians that the leader of God's people is this failure who screwed up so badly. This should give us confirmation and invitation for uh, what God is actually wanting from us. He wants our honesty. He wants our confession. But again, not to rub our nose in the shame, but to be honest about the struggle to see what he actually does with it. He forgives it. He heals it. And then he's so creative and sovereign, that he can bend failure into his glory, our good, and the good of other people. We need to see in Peter the same type of response, which is, I'm coming for you, 
in the midst of your gifting and also your failure to take my grace to other people who will hear it differently through the lens of your life and your experience. And all of this, this, this interaction between Christ and Peter reminds me of a, a story. My friend works for Wycliffe Bible Translation and a story of Bible translation in Cameroon. And there was a missionary who was working to translate the scriptures into the language of the people in Cameroon. And he noticed that all verbs ended in one of three vowels, an I, an A, or a U. So love, one understanding of love is DV, D-V-I, DV love, and then there's deve love, D-V-A, and there should be a devu, D-V-U, for love. And so this Bible translator, this missionary is going around, and finally he got all the elders together and said, okay, I want to try to figure out how to translate love. And I keep on hearing about devi and deve, but I never hear about devu love. Talk to me. Can you devi your wife? And the elder says, yes, you can. That would mean that you once loved her, but the love is gone. You know, you loved, but there's no more love there. He said, okay, I understand that. Can you deve, D-V-A, your wife? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, you can, you can deve your wife, but um, that would mean that uh, she was deserving of it, and she kept it. She made you food, she took care of the kids, and your domain was taken care of so you could sit back and be the little king of your, your, your area. So Devi is, she had the love, but you don't love her anymore. Deve means she kept it. She earned it, and she kept it. And you still love her. So okay. Can you, can you devu your wife? I've not seen anyone use the word devu. Can you devu your wife? And everyone started laughing. I said, of course not. If you said that, you would have to keep loving your wife no matter what she did, even if she never got you water, never made your bed, never made you any meals, even if she committed adultery. You would just be compelled to love her. So no, we never use devu because it doesn't exist. So the translator sat quietly for a while and then said, well, can God devu you? And there was complete silence for three to four minutes. And then tears started to trickle down the weathered faces of these elderly men. And finally, the senior elder who had not spoken yet stood up said, do you know what that would mean? That would mean that God kept loving us over and over while all the time we rejected his great love. That would mean that God is compelled to love us even though we have sinned more than any people. The difference of one simple vowel. <laughs> My aunt who hung and clung to the hope of Romans 6. Romans 5, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, yet Christ still died for us. One simple vowel changes the entire relationship from, I used to love you, or even from, well, 
if you remain obedient, I will love you, to simply, I love you because I, the Lord and creator of the universe, love you. Devu love is the love that is depicted in this interaction between Peter and Christ. That's why he dove into the water. That's why he didn't cower into a ball of shame. That's why he could actually answer, even in the middle of being grieved, yes, I do love you. And Devu love is the love that you will always have if you are in Christ and cling to him. And even when you're weak and cannot cling to him, you still are the recipient of his Devu love. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.